The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things to talk to you about. First, Super Draft. Great new way to play daily fantasy sports. It is not like the rest. There's no pricing. You play who you want. They use an exclusive multiplier point system, so you don't have to worry about pricing. It's just the riskier you want to take on a guy, the higher the points he could possibly earn for you if he's productive on that slate. They have basketball, hockey, baseball, football, golf. They're doing it all. Usually tons of overlay. It is a great way to play daily fantasy sports. So go check it out. Super Draft in your app store. Use promo code Bubba when you set up your account, and they'll get you a free $10 deposit bonus over at Superdraft. So Superdraft in your app store, promo code Bubba when you set up your account for a free $10 deposit bonus. Also, if you have a rating and review on iTunes, I'd really appreciate it. It would help the podcast out a ton and help us uh, make this even bigger and better in year four or five. However, 217 episodes in. Let's think about it that way. And get ready for episode 217 with Matt Modica, good friend of the show, recapping his awesome NFBC fantasy baseball season and looking ahead at a handful of players for 2020. everybody to another episode of benched with bubba episode 217 back talking some fantasy baseball in order to do so joined by a friend of the podcast a friend of mine you can find him on twitter at ctm baseball one of the big winners this year across nfbc land matt modica how we doing my friend uh we are doing good uh especially today that prizes went out and I was claiming them earlier, so today is a good day, as they say. <laughs> very, very good day. Well, yeah, you had a heck of a run there. So pumped for you when I saw that tweet over like, you know, Sunday night or Monday morning. It was uh, good. I, I like seeing the good guys do well, and you bust your rear end at, at what you do. So seeing it come through for you was absolutely amazing. Um, you don't have to talk monetarily unless you want to. But what all did you win? Because you had a lot of first place finishes out there. 
Yeah, no, it, it like I said, one of the leagues, the you know, the uh, ultimate auction, which was my first ultimate auction, uh, I was able to pull that out, and it, it, it just broke well. Uh, it just broke for me at the end. Uh, I, I won't say his name. All the NFBC people know his name. On Twitter, it's Jay Tazawa. You'll know who I'm talking about. He's a hell of a player, hell of a guy. It was really his for the for, for pretty much all of the season. I made a run in September. I was third or fourth most of the year. I got second. And that last week, I really just wanted to hopefully hold on to second. I didn't think I'd be able to pull it out, but... You know, I think that Jack Flaherty getting that start, you know, really did it there. So, yeah, winning the Ultimate Auction, I won a Super, uh, a main event. We finished first, and I think 11th or 12th overall with uh, Chris Vaccaro. I won an Auction Championship. Uh, so, yeah, and I had a couple of second and third place finishes in the main, a second in an Auction Championship, and a, a great league that is an NFBC-style thing that K, KJ Duke uh, operates. It's called the MLB Contract League, where you buy the players with real money, and oh, that wow. one worked out, and that paid a handsome uh, prize as well. So yeah, no, it, I mean, I think out of the nineteen leagues, I think I finished third or higher in fourteen out of them. So it really just was a fairy tale season. Yeah, that's outstanding. That's kind of how you, you you draw it up in your head, and it worked out really, really well. So we're just going to kind of spitball back and forth on kind of, you know, preseason draft time, in-season management, down-to-the-wire type stuff. Because we talked to other guys about, you know, you have to focus on categories and not so much just who the player is, all that kind, all that kind of good stuff. And and for those that – well, I'm assuming if you listen to this show, you you know who Matt Modica is, obviously. But when you follow Matt on Twitter, it's always it always amazes me. When is it that you start drafting? Is it like for baseball? Is it January, like beginning of January? Do you do some December drafts? Or do you wait a little closer, like February, March? Usually around Thanksgiving, we'll do our first NFBC league. Uh, Mike Masato usually has these draft champions leagues, which he calls fast drafts, where, you know, even if it's a four-hour clock, you're basically picking within 10 minutes when your time comes up. You know, you're getting text messages from him or other people in the league, and it's a fast-paced thing. But it, it does get you ready. It, you know, that's like the first one. This year, I think I did five uh, draft champions. I usually do even more than that, but I kind of spread them out. And I, I, I think the approach that I do like to take, and this is, you know, I, I think this could be beneficial to people, is like next week I'm going to first pitch. It'll be my sixth season there, my first season uh, speaking at one of the seminars. But I always have an open mind right after the season, the first month or two, and maybe even three. And as things go on, it starts to shrink little by little. And when you get to that February, March, right before we go live, it gets really tight. You can't be listening to everything. you gotta, you got to be formulating what you, who you think the good players are and all that. And you got to trust your process. If you're putting the work in, you're putting time, or if there's somebody you like to read – uh, whose opinions you trust and you think are valid, that's fine. But you can't be listening to everybody for everything, you know, because then you're just going to have nothing in, in the end, I think. No, that that's a great point at the end. I've tried to preach that to people is there's a ton of great content out there. There's a ton of it, a lot of really smart people. And a lot of us differ in our opinions. And it's not that they're right or wrong by any means, but 
like you said, you, each person has a different process on how they analyze things and it leads them to different decisions. And if you're just, you know, if you're not going to build your own rankings or whatever, and you're relying on other people, you don't want like four or five, six other people because they're all going to cross up and then you're going to be screwed. So it's very, very important that you pick who you like, stick with them and go from there. It's a very, very valid point there when you do all that. Um, a couple of things. I think I've asked you this before on the show, but I want to get your opinion again. You mentioned Chris Vaccaro. I know, you know, Val, Vlad Sedler and, and some other guys. You guys like to, you don't like to, but every now and then you'll team up on an NFBC team or, or a high stakes team. What's that process like? Because usually, you know, it's almost like we just talked about rankings. Each person has their own opinion. How do you guys make it work if you have two different opinions, stuff like that? Well, yeah, there's usually three guys that I will partner with. It's uh, Chris and Vlad, as you mentioned, and also Andy Saxton. Uh, we've had a very successful partnership in both the NFBC and the NFFC, pretty much with all three of those guys. I've done both, and it, it's been a uh, profitable endeavor. So I, I think it's, you know, with Vlad, he is just so good at fab that I will let him just basically set the fab up and I'll take a look and I'll say, this guy here, I really want. I think we should go higher. And, uh, or if he's not, a, if there's a person not on the list, I'll mention it. And, and and if I do that, Vlad, you know, pretty much will say, okay, yeah, no problem. And he'll move it up. And it's it's an easy working relationship with Vaccaro. I know he's like an alpha male and he's got his, he's kind of like set in his ways. So... We'll basically trade off ideas during the week. And if he's really strong on something, I'll I'll let that go unless I have a very strong opinion on it. And then when I'm strong on something, he'll do the same for me. So you have to have that thing. And with Andy, you know, I, I think that one, you know, we'll just go from depending upon team to team that we have. And sometimes he'll he'll be like, This is the way I want to go, and I'm like, cool, or he'll be like, Which what do you like? And I'll I'll make the first um, moves here or there. So I, I think it's just knowing your partner. If you're going to be partners with somebody, especially, you know, when you're putting some nice capital uh, on the line, you got to be friends and you got to be able to have a working relationship. And I am one of the best things I can say is I've been doing it for quite a few years with all three on and off. And I we, we're still great friends. No, and I've noticed that your guys' interactions on Twitter are great. I, I started following Andy last season when I saw your stuff. I've known Vlad for a couple of years now on Twitter and Chris Vaccaro as well. So all great guys, all very knowledgeable guys. And I've seen your guys' relationships. So it makes it a ton of sense. It's like you can't just have find a random person you've never met before and start teaming up. I'm pretty sure that won't work out too well. Something to keep yeah. in mind there. But um, before we get into maybe specific players and anything, you are mm -hmm. the king of the graph paper, and I absolutely love it. It's it's awesome. <laughs> I, 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 you always tweet before you draft and after. I, it's just little things like that that make Twitter great. But what I notice, because I usually end up seeing them all throughout your, your draft season, you kind of have a core or a philosophy when you go into your draft. Like you want X amount of pitchers early or something like that. When you were doing your research this year, if you can remember back that far, baseball such a darn long season – what was kind of your game plan going into draft? To, like, did you want to make sure you had this, these players or these types of players out of the first X amount of rounds or whatever, stuff like that? It's not really a set. I know everybody says you want to have two starters in the first four rounds or that was the catchphrase the last couple of seasons. 
might change a little this year, though I really don't think it will. Uh, it's basically, I start with pitching. I, I think, you know, when I do my research, I think that's that's the basic building block you need. And look, a lot of pitchers got killed this year. So if you could, if you avoided those and you got like Garrett Cole or a Jacob deGrom versus a Chris Sale or a Kluber type, you know, it's the same with hitters. You can pick the wrong hitter. You know, you can pick a hitter that, you know, just either was injured or had a subpar season in those first couple of rounds as your building block. And that's really going to hamper you. But it, overall, it's just the first month or so I like to get in. Uh, I like to look at everything and just do an overall surveillance of what happened last year. You know, I think with pitching, you're always going to check out strikeouts minus walk percentage. Hitters, you want to see batting. Uh, you know, do they have a good plate discipline? I think that's always a thing. So if somebody has that, you can build off of it. So I had my core guys, and it's basically you have some core guys early, core guys in the middle, and then core guys late. You know, Josh Bell, I think, is the most owned player I had this season. But Josh Bell was going very late, and that's one of the reasons why I was able to acquire him on so many teams. Yeah, and I think one big takeaway of that out of the many is – a lot of guys like they have their focus on their first like eight rounds, but you made a good point. You need to have a core for each section of your round almost just like, okay, what if this player is gone that you're kind of hoping was a sleeper? Do you have a more like set core back here in your draft? Like you mentioned Josh Bell, there are many other late round targets that different people had. And I think that's a philosophy. Not everybody has They kind of think, okay, I'm going to go in there and I want to make sure I have this start, but they don't think about the middle and the end. And that is something that can get you like kind of confused. And then you start making rash decisions in a draft and then it all goes downhill real quick. So yeah. uh, like, like I'm pretty sure you can agree. You're not going to win your, your league on draft day, but you can I'm not going to say lose it. Cause I talked to bat flip crazy in our podcast on Monday. And if you listen to his main event, the team, he, he laughs about it because pretty much everybody in the, he had like two of his first 10 picks make it to the end. It was bad. And he still finished like top 10. So Anything's possible with if you grind, but you can. You're not going to win it on draft day, but if you you can screw it up pretty good. You agree on that? Yeah, no, you can put yourself in a really big hole. I mean, and look, I know people that have lost. I, I could tell you, I think it's Scott Jenstad. I know like his top two picks one year when uh, was Miguel Cabrera and like Madison Bumgarner. He still cashed in his main event. You know, you you plug along. If you you know, it's it's a long season. And it always comes down this last week. I had a 20-point lead in the Super. I was winning that league all year long. People were congratulating me a month ago. And within the first two days of the final week, somebody picked up like 14 points. <laughs> I had a swing <laughs> on the final day. But just real quick, what I'm trying to say is like having core players and stuff. Yeah, Like Bieber was a guy that I wanted to own as much as possible. I think I only owned him in like five leagues because mm-hmm. when we went live, he got so expensive and he was getting, you know, he was flying up the draft board and I kept missing out on him. So, you know, you got to have other players that you're willing to, you know, that you can fill in if that guy's gone. And you also got to change opinions on certain players. Pete Alonzo, I saw him at the Arizona Fall League last year, the Fall Star game, hit a home run, the first pitch dead center off of Pearson, who was throwing like 102. The next that bat, he struck out on three straight sliders. I mean, just looked foolish. And it wasn't until spring training, which I rarely watch, but he was using the whole field. He was a different hitter in spring training. And then I got on him late, 
and I have hit him on like seven teams. Yeah, so that, that that just goes to tell you what you say. It's like you don't want to believe everything in spring training, but approach stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. so not necessarily the stat lines. That's huge. Like we look at, um, you know, maybe pitch arsenal. Same thing with the hitter when they're using the whole field or they're doing this and that. It's the same theory of they developed a new pitch. Same concept, basically. So, um, and that's a good point because I guarantee you, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I saw Pete Alonzo at the Fall Stars. I, I don't think I've heard one person besides you mention, and then I saw him strike out on three sliders because <laughs> I know that would have like got my attention of thinking, okay, he's going to be one of these like Adam Dunn types. He's going to hit a bunch of bombs and strike out like almost 200 times. That's kind of scary. But in this day and age, I guess it's not the end of the world. But um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting way to do it. You mentioned Shane Bieber. Let's talk about some guys that maybe you were really big on come draft day and you were trying mm-hmm. to build around. What were some of the pitchers you were looking at? You have Bieber. Everyone had like, like Bieber and Eduardo Rodriguez and Jack Flaherty. I remember those three were always real tight in conversation topics, but who were some of your main pitchers you were looking to acquire on draft day? Well, I mean, it depended upon, you know, where you're picking and that's, you know, when you get your draft slot, it's going to dictate not exactly who you're going to get, but what group is going to be available for you in those first few rounds, depending upon, you know, depending upon where the KDS draw you got. So I think that's one of the things people should look at most you you don't have to go pitching crazy, but know where you can who you can get who's possibly uh, available to you. And look, my most owned pitcher this season was Chris Paddock and Joe Musgrove. <laughs> Musgrove, wow. we saw you know <laughs> we saw the ups the downs. Uh, you know, at the end he finished strong in the last couple of starts, which actually really helped me. I had to start him in a couple of leagues. Uh, Paddock was fantastic. He had a, you know he had a. He had a bumpy road uh, middle of the season, but finished strong. And I believe in the uh, the first draft on the NFBC, the trendsetters, I think Todd and DVR took him at like 5.2. And, you know, I jumped him last year in the main event at 10.2. And that was like the, yeah. that was the min pick for him. So uh, he's going to be very popular this year. <laughs> but it, yeah, for it, fun. it, it all r- depended. R- it, I, I didn't r- really r- have... Yeah. A a set thing. Sorry, sorry. I just wanted to ask you real quick. So you're talking about Paddock right there. You went five two, just for fun, and we'll get right back to this. You mentioned how you took him at ten two, and by the, by the end when you took him, he rose all the way to like ten. Where do you see him going this year? Because I think he's gonna have that kind of Bieber Flaherty helium this time around. Do you see him creeping into rounds three and four? Uh, you know what? I, I wouldn't doubt it. I think that fifth round sounds great. Uh, yeah. He comes out with a good spring. Look, he pitched the innings, and I was happy to see that. I remember watching his last start at Milwaukee. They said they wanted him to pitch on the road against a playoff team and stuff like that, and he pitched very well in that. Uh, he's a, he seems like a hell of a competitor. One of the One of my favorite guys to watch pitch right now. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of love for him. There's going to be a lot of love. He stays healthy. The ballpark they're talking about, maybe some changes with when the, with the bullpens coming off the field. I saw a tweet the other day, so we'll monitor that. But yeah, he's going to be he's going to be hyped up. All right, sorry about that. Continue on with your uh, your your strategy. No, no on, what on I wanted pitchers. to say was, I mean, it depended. Aaron Nola was a target. Garrett Cole was a target. I mean, I, I definitely wanted Degrom. But that all depended upon where you were, 
you know, where you were picking in that first round. And uh, I had seven shares of Noah Syndergaard this year. Okay. And I think I had a bunch of shares of Zach Wheeler as well. And I still was able to do well because I had the other guys too. You know, yeah. it's it's funny. You're going to have, you know, some hit and misses. But Wheeler in that final month was was Amazing. tremendous. And he really helped me, you know, secure some of these leagues. As a as a Mets fan, we'll let you use some bias here. <laughs> what do you think happens to Wheeler this offseason? I think they have to at least give him a qualifying offer. I would offer him like a three-year deal, see if you can get a uh, suitable contract, which I think he may be willing to take. And I would like to see them come back with pretty much the same pitching core. The thing that kept the Mets out of the playoffs this season was the bullpen. I mean, Edwin yes. Diaz was absolutely atrocious. And pretty much everybody outside of Seth Lugo. Lugo was tremendous, but he was he was, he was was a one-man crew back there. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I saw a clip right before this on Twitter that um, your good old GM, Van Wagenen, said, hey, but at least Edwin Diaz got 26 saves. He wasn't that bad. I was like, oh, boy, Brody. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. That media is going to eat you alive, my friend. Um, mm-hmm. All right, let's get back to the hitters real quick. Um, you mentioned Josh Bell earlier. That was a guy I loved as well. He helped me in a couple of leagues. The, it, with hitters and pitchers, like you said, you're not going to get them all correct. But when you hit them, it's nice. What were some of the the bats you were trying to kind of build around this year? Uh, Anthony Rendon was definitely someone I wanted. I thought that price that he was going in that third round, like middle to later third round for most of the draft season, he moved up a little towards the end uh, was a fantastic price. When it first started drafting, it was Acuna and Lindor. And then when they were talking about moving Acuna to the cleanup spot, I wasn't thrilled about that. And then right before we went live, I made the commitment on Christian Yellick. I said, I'm going to, you know, in my auctions, I'm going to bid for him. I'm going to go 40 or more. And if I have a top pick and I can get him, he's going to be on the teams that I have those, I have those, whatever, top five, top six picks. And that's pretty much the route I went with him. And, you know, it, losing him, I thought some leagues it was going to be over and I was able to prevail still. So, you know, you just you, you have to build benches for September. I never have money. I know we'll talk fab in a minute, but you got to build benches, too, for when you get to September. That's a good point. We'll get to that in just a second. But you you mentioned uh, Christian Yellick going down. We know we lost Trout. We lost Acuna for a while. He's back for the NLDS, but we they, they rested him. There was a long list of players that just said, screw it, we're out. And as you know, Matt. Yeah, no, it, it went crazy. Even Kettle Marte didn't play that last week. And he yeah. was another guy I had a ton of, I, you know, I had a ton of shares of. And it got to that last week where I really didn't have guys to play. Like Josh Bell was out. Yeah. Uh, Yellick was out. Mar- Kettle Marte. I mean, Matt Thias was a hero for me on the final game of the season. And I had him on my team for like over a month. It was like one of the... Last few dollars I had, he had a good weekend, and I liked the first third base eligibility. I think I even put him over Aquino, which was a horrific mistake, and I still was able to prevail. So, yeah, no, it was it was wild with all those guys there. And like when I saw your Matt Thice tweet, I just laughed. I'm like, wow, talk about run good. That's run good right there. Uh, when, when that comes through, 
But um, <laughs> with all these guys being out, I don't see the NFBC doing it. I, I talked to Spore about it a couple weeks ago. I know if you have certain leagues, you can customize it. Would you like to see the NFBC do it that with the teams not putting them on the IL because the expanded rosters, and that could change next year with only 28 players. They might have to put them on the IL to get more players up. But if they don't, do you want to see the NFBC change it where they can come in and be like, you know what, they're they're announced out for the year. You can like remove them or or whatever, like and put them on it. Like I know the NFBC doesn't have IL, so I'm blabbering now. But in that theory, would you like to have more roster flexibility if you're in a league with situations like that? I would say if you play in a league with the IL, I totally understand that. Uh, pretty much, I don't. So, but I, I've, if you played in a league with IL, I, I think that's acceptable. You would want that to be the case, or I mean, you could pretty much just cut them as well. Yes. I mean, I look, y- Yellick wasn't gonna. If I had money, I would have cut Yellick, but I didn't have money to even cut him. So he just <laughs> went to my bench, or he just sat on like my, my utility spot because I had nobody else that was healthy to uh, put in there. So, look, whatever league you play in, play with the rules you like. I mean, I might personally not want to play with ILs, but you might want to play with three ILs. If, you know, if, you're, if your group, you know, it wants that, enjoys that, then, you know, screw what everybody else thinks. <laughs> exactly. Now, let's talk Fab. You mentioned, you know, Vlad is – I'm with you. Like, you get to see the interworkings of Vlad. I just get to kind of see it from the outside looking in in occasional chats. He has a mastermind of Fab. Um, Scott Jenstead is one of the smartest guys I know, especially when attacking categories in fab. Um, I heard uh, in, in Tout Wars head-to-head, Ian Kahn, his entire roster was different than his draft day. That's how much he worked the way of wire and trades. It's crazy mm-hmm. out there. How did you approach fab this year? Because you already kind of said you ran out of money. I ran out of money with like three weeks left in, in my leagues as well. And, you know, limping home was tricky. Like I went from second to fourth. And I lost, I lost it because the guy took third place by scoring eight points on Sunday. But it was just – it was a wild go. How did you attack it this year? Because, you know, we had Fab again and all those other massive weekends where guys would blow over half their budget. Yeah, look, with Fab, I'm always going to be aggressive. I'm going to be aggressive early because I want to hit on those guys and I want to have them all season. This year, I got a little too aggressive at times. Usually, I'll get to early September and run out of money. This year was most of my leagues was middle March. I was I was out of money. I had no more money, but I did plan for a bench. Like on my bench in many leagues was Sean Manaya, Mike Fultonevich. Both those guys were rock solid. Those you know final six weeks that last month, you know their ERAs were impeccable and stuff, and that paid off for me. But I'm going to be aggressive, and even. Everybody highlights the fab getting where people fail and you, you bit on uh, who was Turner's uh, guy on, on Washington. Who's the kid that came? Oh, Carter Keyboom. Carter Keyboom. I know uh, some people bid like three hundred. Look, I was bidding like one fifty to one eighty on these guys, and you know, a lot of Nicky Lopez was a lie. But what I yep. did get right was getting like a Lucas Giolito. For under ten dollars, you know, no, nobody talks about those moves when he was when he got injured early on. Somebody caught him. I saw he had nice strikeouts. Let me take a shot. I hit on that. I got Carlos Martinez for like under ten dollars. He became the closer. You know, there's those other ones that you know you spend very little money on that pay nice dividends for you. And as far as and as far as with the rookies. 
see, I maybe I didn't do great with Fab in my rookies, but I did very well in my drafts. Like I said, Paddock I had on nine teams. I think Alonzo on seven, and Fernando Tatis was on six or seven. So you know those three young players really helped me, and I don't think I had a you know pay a price that if I was wrong it was gonna you know make or break my team. No, and that's a very valid point. That's why I think you know, and, and if you got the Jordan Alvarez's or the Keston Heroes, well then you're looking gold. If you had Oscar Mercado, the guy no one wanted, it worked out great. So you got to take those chances, like you said. And I like the idea of going early as well because don't you want five months of greatness instead of a month when you spend all that money? Stuff like that is just it's it's philosophy. It's, everybody has their own philosophy, but mm-hmm. I kind of I'm a little more in your camp of if I'm going to spend it because you can't take it with you when you're gone. I'm going to spend it on something I can actually utilize for quite some time. It's either and, and did you at least try to? I know Scott Jensen talks about it a lot. He talks on on the RotoWire podcast. He tried to have like. 30% or so of his budget for the last like month, month and a half. So he could play streaming and all that. Obviously you ran out towards the end and then so did I, but is that something usually you try to do or do you just not care? It's like, whatever's going's going and I'm going to do it. Uh, in a, in a perfect world, if I could have a hundred dollars that last six weeks or maybe even eight weeks, I could make that hundred dollars work very well for me. Yeah. But it's usually not the case as much as I try this year, I am going to try and be a little more stringent on on the fab a little. But I, I just want to say, I, I, I think I, I proved this season. You could be out of fab for six weeks and still win your leagues. Or, you know, maybe if you're going for the overall. But my solo team, which was pretty much top 15 all year, got into the top 10 uh, and then faded late. I fell out of first place early in that final week. And then, you know, it was basically my offense that carried me. Once I lost Christian Yellick and Lourdes Goriel never came back and Max Kepler never came back. There was another guy. Had a, you know, I, I just, I was lucky enough to finish second there. But except for an overall where I think you have to save some money. You know, if you, as I previously mentioned, like building a bench, looking ahead, looking at guys you know are going to get a call. You know, maybe you got to be a little more, you know, you got to be a step or two ahead with a hitter, you know, is getting called up. Somebody picked them up, dropped them, or he's coming back. And I think those are the moves that if you're lacking money, you can build a bench and help yourself out and, you know, still wind up doing well down the end. Yeah, I'm with you. It's all about roster management, having those right uh, bench pieces. Don't just waste cash to waste cash. I know what you're saying. If you're going to spend it, get it on something that you can utilize. Maybe – not just in the moment. Like you said, all of a sudden, Matt Thice is there in the end. So anything is possible. Um, any final thoughts just on your whole season? I'll let you have the floor and anything you want to say. Uh, it, it was a heck of a run. And I, like I said, in the beginning, I was so pumped for you as one of the good guys. And the guy I've gotten to know, I am always happy to see the good guys really have a hell of a year. And you, my friend, had a hell of a year. Well, thank you, my friend. And thank you for always having me on. I think the main point I want to just reiterate, and I touched on it briefly, is if you do the research and you do good research, trust your work. Uh, follow, you know, you can listen to everybody early on, but you got to have a select few that you really trust. You, you just can't have your ears open to everybody. I like to use the term from uh, old school earmuffs. At some point, you got to put earmuffs on <laughs> so and true. go that route. But the best advice I ever heard was from Lindy Hinkleman, who's, you know, 
if one of the top players out in this game, you know, won the main multiple times in the online championship. He won the draft champions this year. He said, you know, when he stopped listening to everybody else and just trusted himself, he started winning. And I, I think you got to have confidence in yourself. If you're doing work and following good people and you have that core, I think you'll be fine. And don't be afraid to fail. Don't be, because the ADP said this guy is a seventh-round player. If you honestly believe he's that guy has everything there and you want to take him in the fifth so you don't get sniped in the sixth or whatever, don't worry about what anybody says. No, that's a, that's one of the best points I've ever heard because that's something I did a lot in a TGFBI. People were laughing like, "Why'd you guys? Why'd you take him so early?" Because I wanted him. Like, it was that simple. Like this is one of my guys, and you know, live and die with your guys. Put the time in. Great advice there. Um, we're gonna move on from the draft talk now. I got a handful mm-hmm. of players just for fun, talking some 2020, and obviously this can change a million times this off season through research, injuries, anything. But it's just kind of fun to look back on guys that had good or bad 2019s and start looking at 2020. Like you said, you're going to be drafting next weekend, Matt. So you're going to have to have a little a little idea of what your thoughts are for guys. And I'm pretty sure you're already putting that research in. I don't doubt that at all when it comes to you. But we're going to start with a couple of your Mets. And I, I didn't do it on purpose, but then I'm like, you know what? If anybody knows them better than Matt, I don't, I don't know who they are. So I'm going to ask Matt. And um, we'll start with Pete Alonzo. Big meat Pete. 53 home runs as a rookie. Hit 260 had a amazing season, like really better than probably anybody could have imagined. It's going to be tough to duplicate that, but if anybody can continue to hit at least 45-plus homers, it might be that man. What's your outlook on him next year? Because he's going to fly up the draft boards this year. Yeah, the draft I'm looking at, that that trendsetters one that was underway, the, uh, Todd Zola tweeted out the first six rounds, so if you want to, anybody wants to take a look at it. Alonzo was like the sixth guy off the board in the second round. And look, power's abundant. They're saying the ball's not going to change. Even if the ball changed, he's still going to hit a ton of homers. Is he going to hit 53 next year? I would bet against that. I, I, I really would. I think he, you know, but I do think he'll hit 40 or like just over 40. You know, there's there's always regression, but regression to what? And that was, you know, one of my arguments for, for Christian Yellick. So I think I, you know, the power. I have, I'm, I have no worries whether the ball stays the same or it's changed. It's the the batting average. You know, can he sustain 260 or like? I mean, even 250 is good. You, you'll take that. You just don't really want him to go south to 220 or 230. You know, maybe that sophomore slump. So you know, right now. I'm fine with him as a second round pick. Like I said, I really, this is the first I'm even looking at for next year because last week I was just like a mental basket case. And then I took a couple of days off just to relax uh, early on this week. So, yeah, he's going to be a guy that I I, I think you you feel secure that you're going to get that power. And if if power is plentiful, you're going to need more of it. Yeah, no, I think you're you're very, very true on that. You're going to need more of it. People think it's plentiful, so I can kind of wait. And in theory, like Rob Silver and others have said it, it just means you need, need more. <laughs> that's, the, that's the bottom line. If everyone can find it, you need more. Um, let's go to Michael Conforto. Church is in session, and um, he's got <laughs> 20, 27 or more home runs in three straight years, 33 this past year. I was big on him coming into the year because I figured, you know, a full year after that shoulder injury, let him really get going. We saw it kind of more in the second half of 18. 
he had a great 2019, played 151 games at 257. I'm, I am a big fan of him. I know you are as well. Do you think he can, you know, go even beyond this, maybe hit for a higher average? Or is this kind of the Conforto we should get used to right about here? I think this is the Conforto you should expect, you know, the average and the home runs for now. And if he can make that next step, then it's really going to pay the dividends. If he can, you know, get that average up, be a little better versus lefties and stuff like that. There's still hope, you know, and still still a little time for him to make so, some adjustments. You know, he's he's not an old man by by any means, but you know he's becoming seasoned. So I think going with the expectations of, you know, this is the kind of guy. This is what you should expect: the average, you know, the thirty home runs around there. But there is a chance he can get better. I'm not, you know, putting it. I'm not banking on it. So, but it, it's. It's valuable. These numbers are valuable. You're, you're building pieces. You're building, like, if you're in TGFBI or in a main event, you, you need, you're competing against everyone. So you got to, you know, it's not to say I got 100 or I got 250 home runs. I'm 50 ahead of the next guy. You just got to keep adding and adding on. So uh, I think he's a good player, a, a good uh, piece to have on your team, for I think he's the, – the thing I like about him a lot is he's now, like I said, three years in a row, it's consistent. He's one of those guys that you can pretty much just chalk in as, as barring an injury or something. You're going to chalk in 25 to 30-plus home runs and like a 250 to 260 average, and you know that's going to be there by season's end. That's what it feels like. He's pretty pretty confident that's what you're going to get, which is outstanding uh, when, you, when you're building your team, like you said, especially for like a main total prize. You need those numbers and you know you have them. And then you can take chances elsewhere. So I'm a big fan of guys like Conforto to build around on my teams. Um, let's talk about a guy you said you drafted a lot this year. And this is a guy that at this point in time, and again, a lot can change, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty much signing off. I, I I just, I can't live with this, this heartburn year after year of Noah Syndergaard. Like the talent is immense. It is crazy. You've probably watched almost every start he's had, but he just loves to sit in the plate and put it on a tee when he doesn't need to at times, it feels like. What are you doing with a guy like Noah Syndergaard? Like maybe a change of scenery is coming. I don't know, but it's been rough watching this, especially this past year. Uh, look, I know Brody said today Syndergaard's uh, going to stay with the team. I don't believe that one bit. I think they're hell-bent on trading him. Uh, if Garrett Cole leaves Houston, which I think he does, I think the Angels – just they know they have to get him for Trout, and they just spend that two fifty or whatever it takes to get Cole. So for me, I think he's going to be gone from the Mets. But if he's going in like the fifth round, look he he had like a sandwich season. I'll I'll say that. Look at you know the first month or so and the last month or so were like oh, but that middle he pitched he he did pitch well. And, you know, if he's going like late fifth or sixth round, it's going to be hard for me not to take him. I I rarely, if ever, will write off a player, no matter how bad they burn me. Yeah, and that's the thing. Is like, I, like I'm saying it now, but I already know because I remember last year I started telling myself, <laughs> okay, fifth round, the talent's there. I got to do it. Like, I did the same thing with Look Bumgarner at Strasburg last year. this year. Yes, that was one guy I've raved about because – I had an argument, I can't remember who, not an argument, but a, a nice discussion with last year on one of my preseason pods talking about 
why are we so worried about, you know, volume, 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 if we live in a world where Strasburg goes at least like 170 innings and gives you amazing, and then what if he goes great, and then this year he goes and throws over 200 innings, and no one ever wants to touch him. There's still people to this moment, Matt, that are saying, I won't draft him next year. It's just like well, they, they just good, won't get it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's my point. I'm like, I, I think in uh, the two early box with uh, that, that Justin Mason puts on, I had pick, I think, 13 out of 15 in one of the drafts. I did um, I did Jose Ramirez and Trey, or Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez in the first round. And on the way back, I got Aaron Nola and Steven Strasburg. I was like, I'll start with that all day long. I, I feel fine with that at the back end. But that just shows you Strasburg's falling to the beginning of the fourth round still. People aren't loving him. And uh, Syndergaard went in the fifth round in that draft. So just throwing that one out there as well. I mean, but, yeah. you start with three solid hitters and you got Strasburg and Syndergaard. I, I really don't have a problem signing off on that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, w- that would not suck at all. That would work for me as well. Uh, let's go to another pitcher that tilted a lot of people. And honestly, I'd rather have mm-hmm. Syndergaard than Chris Sale. Chris Sale was rough. It really started in spring training when they didn't want to pitch him. And then he pitched a little and then, Started slow and he really never came back and then finished the season hurt. It was a really rough year for Chris Sale. The, the strikeouts were still there, but the walks were up. Everything was getting hit harder. It was bad. What's your thoughts on Chris Sale? Because he just never looked right to give you kind of hope that he'd be bouncing back. Yeah, I mean, look, with Sale, I I stayed away this year. And he is literally like my been my favorite pitcher, him and Jacob DeGrom these past few seasons. My my avatar or the background of, of my Twitter page, if you look in the orange, that's Chris Sale's silhouette. <laughs> but the guy still got 218 strikeouts. He gave up 22 runs all earned versus the Yankees in 20 innings. <laughs> they, they really roughed him up. I, I think he's the wild card of 2020. Uh, where he goes, I still don't know yet. Where I would place him, but if he hits and you're getting him at a really nice discount, he's going to win people a lot of leagues or at least give people the opportunity to be in contention in leagues and erase a lot of mistakes. Now, the flip side is, you know, maybe he's really hurt and he comes out there after three games and is shut down. He's getting Tommy John and all that. But I really, I really believe this guy is going to, He's going to swing a lot of leagues next year. He's going to be uh, probably, you know, one of the lightning rods to talk about this offseason. And that's one of the things I'm curious to find out where I'm going to place him. Uh, it's one of the things I'm exci- actually excited about doing and stuff. Because, uh, look, he, he never seemed right, even when he was getting all the strikeouts. But like I said, the Yankees themselves alone just <laughs> obliterated him. Yeah, that was rough. Yeah, it'll be interesting when you guys draft next week in Arizona to see where he goes because you guys are some of the biggest and sharpest minds out there. So it'll it'll be interesting to see who who is willing to take that leap because in all the mock drafts I've seen already, uh, he's still going in that you know kind of just after Scherzer ish range, maybe a, a couple farther back. He's still a top ten starting pitcher according to somebody. So it'll be real interesting that. Uh, I'm I'm really scared. Let's put it that way. But we'll we'll wait. <laughs> I'm with we'll you. I am scared, it. but like I'd rather take a gamble. I'd rather it's not even a gamble, I guess. But I'd rather go with like Walker Buehler, Jack Flaherty. I'd rather mm-hmm. go with those young arms than Chris Sale. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I I I don't blame you for that. Of course, you know, as good as the payoff could be, 
it could just really be, you know, three starts, or maybe he never even starts next year. Who knows? Yeah, maybe something that works up in uh, spring training, like late. Yeah. yeah, that's the scariest part. Nothing. He might not start at all. So, yeah, good point there. Let's go to a guy that you said you had on a lot of teams. I had on a lot of teams. Josh Bell, that first half, that bell was ringing a lot. We were ringing that bell, Matty Mo. <laughs> no, that and was then, so much fun. And then the bell kind of lost that middle part that helps ring the bell. It disappeared for a lot of the second half. Not sure what happened. Then he gets hurt, misses the last few weeks of the season. What are you thinking going into uh, 2020? Is this a guy that we go back and trust? Because I've always, I always knew the talent was there. But he still wasn't as consistent as we like, obviously, at the end of things this year. No, he was not. I think, you know, I, I as I don't believe in the home run, you know, the home run uh, derby, I don't believe in that myth. But I think it, it, it hurt Josh Bell. I believe he, he his wrist he was bothering him for the first couple of weeks after. He was never the same in the second half. Then it was shut down. And look, let's be honest. I don't think he's three thirty as he was those first couple of months. But this guy's got great plate discipline. He's figured out some large angle and uh, fully healthy at the right price. I'm going to go back in on Bell. And you know, maybe a lot of people are going to be have that second half bias and only remember the bad and how he let them down. But uh, I'm back, Josh. At the right price, I'm 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 back for you. Hopefully, ringing that bell next year. There we go. Let's ring it together. Have some fun with that one. Uh, another guy that a young stud that battled injuries this year, you know, in 2018 gets the call up 14 homers, 32 stolen bases in 75 games. Then in 19 through an injury riddled season plays 102 games, nine homers, but still steals 43 bases. And Alberto Montesi had that shoulder injury. You would imagine that kind of sucked some of the power out. If we can get 150 games out of this man, Matt, we might get 70 steals and our 60 something steals. And 15 to 20 home runs, which is insane. That's what we want from Trey Turner. Montessi's having the surgery. Knock on wood should be good to go come opening day. Where do you look at Montessi going in the next year, assuming things go well in spring training and everything, uh, as a potentially, you know, okay power guy, but an insane steals guy? Yeah, look, I only had one share of Montessi. He was on my auction championship. That team finished in first place. And I'm I'm very intrigued with him because he's going to solve a lot of speed problems. I was never really buying the power, but he's not he's not going to be like a rabbit, like a Malik Smith, where we get like a handful of home runs or something, or you know one of those guys that hits three homers and you know you're really crippled in that category, uh, uh, especially on that team now. You got guys like Hunter Dozier, Jorge Solor was a was a godsend this year. And so I'm very interested in Mondesi. I, I think that speed, you know, barring the surgery, you got to monitor this offseason. Uh, if if the everything checks out good, because he's not a guy you're, you're looking for for a ton of power. I, I know some of these guys, these kids come up. Trey Turner did it a few years back. But he's just got to hit like double-digit home runs and steal, you know, 40-plus bases to 50 bases. And he's going to solve a lot of your speed issues. And he's going to play in Kansas City. You, you know he's there. You know he's got a role. He's got, you know. So I'm I'm very intrigued. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm pretty excited to see what he does. I hope he has a healthy spring. Because I think I'll, I want to see a full, a full year of what he can do. Because it's just crazy, the talent that's out there. And, and the multiple steal availability that he, he brings to the table. You got a guy like Trey Turner, Mondesi, Johnny VR, these guys that, 
you know, aren't expected to hit with a lot of pop, even though VR did this year, but just their speed upside, just they can change a game in a heartbeat. So it'll be really interesting to see how that goes. Uh, a couple more guys to talk about real quick is Eduardo Escobar, always been good in Minnesota, never really had the full-time role there, comes to Arizona, playing every day. The bouncy ball helped a little bit, but still 35 homers, hitting 270 in a good lineup or an okay lineup, not a good lineup, an okay lineup. But what are your thoughts? Because we've seen Eduardo be a low 20 homer guy. Jumping to 35 is pretty, pretty big move there. Are we still buying in on him next year? Uh, I mean, what's his price going to be? That's going to be the thing for me. He was pretty much nobody wanted him because there's nothing sexy about Eduardo, but he's just consistent. Uh, he was consistent. He, you know, he delivered. He was a guy there for you later in drafts that, you know, you, you put him on your roster and he did really good things for you. I, if the ball stays the same, I don't see why 30 isn't out of reach. But I would never project him to hit 30 or 35. I'd keep it in that, you know, 20, you know, 25 range or a little less. And if he gets there, I mean, what, you know, projections, you know, it's all an educated gamble. And, you know, some people do better jobs than others. But you should be able to have realistic projections just by, you know, knowing players, looking at stuff. When you see like 21, 23, and 35, one of them is different, you know yep. what I'm saying? Yep. So, uh, but I'm 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 more curious to see where he's priced this year because I honestly haven't really done anything for yeah. 2020, uh, and that's part of the fun of the draft uh, in Arizona. Is there's really, you know, outside of maybe the first six rounds of the trendsetter thing, there's really nothing to look at as far as ADP and stuff. I know you guys have have done a couple. I was preoccupied that last week. Oh, so yeah, you, really you were a little busy. Look. So that's that's going to be fun next week doing that draft. And it's always a good group of guys, you know, like James Anderson, Clay Link, yep. um, Spora, Dave Duncan at times. You know, just a bunch of good people. Yep, you have an awesome, awesome group there. Last one I'm going to ask you here, and this one tilted me to no end because I was buying in. I knew it was a bad ballpark for him, but – they made shifts in San Diego to it's not as non-hitter friendly as before. And in reality, he finished with 32 home runs. He hit 256, which was, you know, two years ago, he hit 259. But 32 home runs, 30 homers for five straight seasons. Struck out a little more. But overall, in numbers weren't great, but they were kind of in line with what he did, minus maybe some RBIs. Manny Machado, I think you're going to get him at a discount this year. He might be this year's Chris Bryant, per se, where – People are kind of worried about him a little bit, and you get a discount on him. Are you buying in on Manny Machado? Because 30 home runs is 30 home runs. Yeah, that discount, I'm, I'm going to be intrigued, especially if they change this uh, ballpark around, as I mentioned, with them losing the bullpens on the field or whatever they were talking about that I saw in the tweet. As you said, the guy's going to hit 30 home runs. Uh, you don't like to see him strike out a little more. But it's still, it's not like he's striking out 28% of the time. The thing that hurt you a lot, besides the average, was the stolen bases pretty much evaporating. And that's the thing. That's how you're going to have to go forward. He's, you want, he'll be 28 in July. Can he still run? Can he steal bases? Yes. Uh, you're hoping you have a full season of Tatis. So I, I think Manny could be, as you said, one of these bargain players. Don't know my 
true thoughts on him now, but he's somebody I would definitely consider. If if if, if he's going to tumble a bit, I'm going to probably scoop him up at some point. Yeah, I think he's going to be one of those fun ones that falls. You know, the Carlos Correa's of the world that just tick us all off. And we because when he's healthy, he's amazing. But when he's healthy, is the key word there. There's so many guys, and we can talk all day. But I'm going to wrap us up there, Matty Mo. It is always a pleasure to chat with you. Before we leave, why don't you let everybody know what you got going on at the Athletic, and then what you're going to be doing at First Pitch Arizona. Uh, yeah, uh, at the Athletic, I uh, do a football article every week. It's out on Wednesdays. Sometimes we get it in on Tuesdays, but usually it's every Wednesday. Uh, I do a fantasy football article. I do a podcast on Saturdays with Chris Ricaro and Corey Pawson called The Walkthrough. Uh, I think that's a fantastic pod. The three of us have a great time doing it. I'll give it a listen. At first pitch, I'll be doing a seminar with Dave Potts and Rob Silver, uh, NFBC-centric uh, seminar. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, if you ever get the chance or if you have an open window to book a late flight and come out there, I hi- highly, highly uh, advise doing so. It's good people, uh, smart people. You get to watch great games of good young prospects and, you know, it does give you a bit of a leg up. I, you know, there's guys I, I get on sometimes that other people, you know, might not be on right away because I actually saw them play live. And, you know, that guy really caught my eye. Yeah, no, it's awesome, everybody. Go check out all of Matt's great work. He's on Twitter at CTM Baseball. And Matt, always a, a pleasure chatting, my friend. We need, to do it. we need to do it more often. Yes, thank you again. Thank you again. No problem at all. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 217. Recapping some NFBC victories for Matt Modica and some look ahead to some 2020 players. We'll catch you guys later.